0: Today on Ag News Daily, what makes inflation so painful is there's two elements here that often aren't talked about. One of them is relative prices. So if inflation in the U.S. economy is up six percent, that's on average across all goods and services. But we know that some things go up more than six percent, a lot more, and some things go uh, don't change in price very much at all.
1: Welcome back, listeners, to a Wednesday edition of the Ag News Daily podcast. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside virtually Delaney Howell. How are you doing, Delaney?
2: I'm good, Tanner. I've only been suffering from a tiny bit of jet lag, which actually has worked in my favor because I've gone to bed early and gotten up early, but I missed the longest day of summer yesterday. You know, I don't know how late it stayed light because I was going to bed before it was dark out.
1: <laughs> yes, my two daughters at about 8.30 when we Put them to bed. Uh, we're complaining that it was still light out. And they <laughs> should have more time to play with their friends. But
2: that's true. Uh,
1: only gets shorter from here on out.
2: Well, that's also that means it's also the saddest day of the year because then yeah we turn into long days or short days I guess.
1: Unless you're like me who thoroughly enjoys the harvest season and is always looking forward to it, it just means it's one day closer.
2: Well, that's true. That's a good way to put it. All right, I like that.
1: Good. I'm glad, I'm glad that you approve.
2: I do, yes. But I tell you what, we better dive into some news today. Tanner, and I want to kick things off with the U.S. Crop Progress Report because we lost two percentage points in corn and soybean conditions as of yesterday. 70% of the corn crop is rated good to excellent, 6% very poor to poor, uh, still higher than the five-year average. Typically, we're at about 65% good to excellent. And as of Sunday, soybeans did lose a couple percentage points, but still sitting at 94% planted, 68% good to excellent conditions.
1: Yeah, it's been an interesting spring. It took us a while to get crops planted. Now they're up and emerged, and now we're facing other Weather concerns, you know, and to, to continue along that line, the winter wheat crop development is 91% of that crop is headed out. We've been seeing lots of pictures along our social media and tagging us in, uh, of wheat harvest taking place as uh, a lot of harvesters are traveling the country to get that valuable crop brought in. But they're saying that 30% of that winter wheat is rated good to excellent. So down another percentage point. So across the board, Delaney, All crops losing some condition points, probably mainly due to the heat and wind stress that we've been experiencing.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a good segue, Tanner. I know you guys mentioned it on the podcast last week, but had a lot of weather last week in Nebraska with hailstorm and wind damages. I know there were some wind damage in Iowa and Illinois as well. But I've been chatting with a few folks and reading some articles. There's going to be potentially quite a bit of replant going on right now as well. I know a good friend of the podcast and your co-host on Farm for Profit, Corey Hillabo, was replanting some acres. Quite a few farmers in the Dakotas are replanting, as well as farmers in Nebraska, Ohio, and Illinois have all been reporting some potential replants going on right now.
1: Yeah, and that's not going to help our friends in the South either as, you know, we've reported that they started off dry this season trying to get a little bit of moisture to get their cotton germinated and other crops. And now according to forecasts look like they are in line for monsoon rains and yes, much needed moisture, but not in the form of buckets and buckets all at one time.
2: Yeah, so certainly this is going to be an interesting summer because, you know, we're still technically in a La Nina hot and dry weather pattern, but we're not necessarily having that down south.
1: That's correct. It'll be, again, something more for us to report on, which is good because we can always use news to share with our listeners. We want to follow up on an article that we talked about last week between Cassidy and I about the special investigator as uh, the Congress was putting together in their bill, to oversee meat packing fairness. So uh, this Special Investigator Act is drawing fire now from a lot of large groups. So as a part of the Lower Food and Fuel Costs Act that was passed through the House last week that again established the USDA office to prosecute anti-competitive practices in food and agriculture industries, so again, they are targeting those meat and poultry competition issues that have made a lot of headlines in the past. However, large groups are stating, such as national pork producers, the American Meat Institute, National Cattlemen's Association are saying that this bill, yes, it does create a position to take a look at anti-competitive matters. However, it duplicates the work of a lot of federal investigative industry in agencies like the DOJ and the FBI. Uh, and the Packers and Stockyards Division. So interesting to see that they're getting a little pushback from these national associations. And what is pointed out in this article is that the bill was actually underfunded by nearly 40%, meaning that it will divert critical financial resources away from other agencies inside of the USDA to continue to push forward on this. So more probably to come, Delaney, on this bill that was passed to see how things actually shape up to take him take control of those anti-competitive nature and decisions throughout the meat packing industry.
2: Well, Taylor, this is not a bill yet, but President Biden has, in his latest idea, asked Congress to consider a three-month suspension of federal gas tax, which has been the very same price at 18.4 cents since October of 1993. He's also called on individual states to suspend their own fuel taxes as well. And of course, this is to try and help curb the ever-increasing cost at the gas pump. And a lot of analysts are suggesting that yes, this does in theory create a short-term price reduction, which should increase demand, but they're saying that seems counterproductive when you think consumption and cost-wise at this point, uh, without even mentioning federal need for roads, infrastructures, etc. So, interesting mixed bag there. And it's interesting. um, One of the analysts that I read daily uh, shared a federal and state gas tax chart. And yes, it has been largely the same tax for almost three decades now. So seems like maybe not a big step to help curb increasing gas prices.
1: Yeah, and we reported last week the fact that demand had not slowed down, but it does look like reports this week, now that fuel prices are hovering above and that $5 a gallon, the first week of June had gas sales down for the first time 8.2% compared to the same week last year. So, uh this is uh, new news as we were talking the demand didn't seem to take a hit. However, uh, looking at the perspective that you mentioned, we certainly don't want to see higher tax levels, but with the costs of maintenance to our road systems, uh, you would only expect that as we come out of this high inflation period, that we may be seeing uh, additional taxes there to continue to boost up that road system. So the last piece of news that I have for today, Delaney, is related to milk production. So in the most recent quarter, The dairy report from Rabobank points that there was another decrease in milk production worldwide, but that output now falling 1.1% since that last quarter. So it is not a big drop in production, but the key part of this article is this quarter now makes it 12 straight months of production decline globally. So that is the first time in a decade that they have seen that long of a production lag. So of course... Dairy is facing, you know, the news that everybody else is in the livestock sector of record high feed prices, skyrocketing energy costs, and now a little bit of lower demand due to the inflated value or the inflation of all goods at the grocery store, deflating the bar, the buyer's purchasing power. So, uh, analysts are saying at Rabobank that they are predicting a less impressive recovery in the global milk production market, which is sad to see if we can you know sad to say the least to see if we can get back to the levels pre slump so uh, too bad for the milking industry production is falling we can only assume that has to do with profitability um, but we will have to just watch to see if they can regain market share
2: it's interesting too as you look at market share tanner brazil has really snapped up a lot of market share here for corn exports largely because ukraine has been offline for so long now Brazilian corn exports via their southern port rose an atypical 161% for the first 5 months of the year due to lack of production and product coming out of Ukraine. And the other thing to keep in mind here is this is very abnormal for this time of year because typically Brazil goes offline oh February March-ish time frame when the US comes online fairly strong and other countries like Ukraine help to fill that gap. Well, This year, Brazil is certainly doing their part to help fill some of those export and import demands, but they're saying that they still have quite a bit of corn in stock and they have good margin in prices and the supply and demand is out there. So they're taking advantage of that market opportunity.
1: Yeah, we knew that there was going to be places for other producers to fill into that gap if production allowed. So uh, not a surprise in the article there, but Delaney is You get ready to jump into the markets, it seems like uh, our bull friends are struggling to find some solid ground underneath them, as it appears as though uh, markets continue to slide based upon the news. Even though we reported on that couple of points of uh, crop condition falling, not a lot to go off of this week.
2: No, there certainly isn't, Tanner, and you're right. The bulls are fighting hard, but are losing to the bears this morning as December corn is sliding six cents lower, trading around six ninety five. So we've broken through that psychological $7 mark. It's going to be interesting to see where things go from here. I haven't seen kind of where our next area of support is, so I'll try and find that and share that with our listeners tomorrow. Then as you look at the soybean side of the balance sheet, November soybeans down 26 cents this morning trading around 14.84 a lot of questions coming you know is this market rally over or what's going to be next what you know big piece of news is going to be necessary to feed the bull market Livestock are also down this morning, down 70 to 40 cents across the board in live cattle and in feeder cattle down about 12 to 20 cents across the board here. Lean hogs also trading lower this morning and seems that uh, everything's taken a turn for the worse this morning, Tanner.
1: Yeah, not nothing substantially impressive news-wise, so we can see why things are down, but today... We'll see if we can get some answers behind where economic factors are headed, whether that be inflation-related or GDP or even the agricultural environment themselves. So what do you say, Delaney? Should we jump into our conversation for today?
2: Let's jump in.
1: All right, listeners, time for the conversation for today. And you'll have to bear with us as I probably geek out and get a little bit nerdy around these topics related to agriculture and the current economics factors around it. But we have David Widmar with us. He is the co-founder of Ag Economic Insights. Welcome, David. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to chat with you all. Yeah, so our listeners have
1: uh, been tagging us on social media points. We've been reporting news articles, obviously around the record high inflation levels and the uh, record-setting interest rate hike by the Fed last week. So let's jump kind of right into it first on the inflation side of things. What what are we seeing? We've reported that it is record high, but, but what are you seeing from an economist side of things related to inflation in the ag sector?
0: That's a really great uh, question. And I think record high is always – um, a challenging statement um, for listeners to think about, It usually how significant something appears ultimately depends on how much history we consider. And in both cases, we're going back to, say, 1980s levels of inflation and magnitudes, I think, on the interest rates, 18, you know, the, the change in interest rates going back to the early 90s. So we haven't seen anything of these magnitudes in recent history. Um but in the 70s and early 80s, uh, they were a very different period. And so we are nowhere near the 70s or nowhere near the 80s. So it's a little tricky to say, uh, we haven't been here since the 80s, but by the way, the 80s were really, really bad <laughs> and even worse right. than they are now.
2: Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people have been compared. Comparing back to the 80s and Tanner and I weren't really around. I mean, I guess Tanner was born, I think, in the late 80s, but we didn't experience it. So we don't have that backstory, that history to understand. But a lot of farmers that we talk to on the podcast do have that history. And certainly no one wants to think about the 80s. It wasn't a pleasant time, obviously, but what differences, what do you think it it would take? Or hopefully we won't ever get there, but what are the major glaring differences between the 80s and where we're at now?
0: So let's start by talking about what was going on with inflation in the 1980s, in the late 1970s. First off, there are several ways to measure inflation. Um, and so right now I'm going to use, uh, CPI because that's the data that I have in front of me. The Consumer Price Index is, you know, widely cited. Uh, the CPI got above 10% annual changes in inflation, uh, a couple times. Once in the early 1970s, I think it was in 1973, and then of course in the late 80s and early 19, um, Late 70s, early 80s. But the real takeaway here is, if you kind of cherry pick the data, we spent at least a decade of inflation in the U.S. economy above 5%, and we averaged 7% throughout that entire decade. So here we are today in 2021, and excuse me, 2022. The data in 2021 was, I think, an annual average around 3 to 4%, and now we've been clipping away 6, 7, 8% data uh, for the first few months um we just haven't seen the duration what makes inflation so painful is one the magnitude so we haven't seen anything near double digits uh and the second piece is the duration and so we're sitting at about uh 12 months of High inflation relative to where we are today, or where we've been in the last few years. Um, so we haven't seen the duration play out. Um, the duration is really what causes a lot of pain because even 7% sustained for a decade, um, implies that all the prices in the economy roughly double. Uh, so wages would double, um, you know, the price of gasoline, the price of, uh, everything that we need to buy would, would double throughout the economy.
1: Yeah, and thankfully we're not seeing that. And I want to take a quick second here for you to plug the podcast series that you did in relation to what happened in the eighties and what happened following, uh, the eighties. So do that quick here before we jump into our next question. Where can listeners find that? And what was, what was the basis of that project?
0: Yeah, in the fall of 2020, corn prices were uh, headed below $3 a bushel. This is before China started buying our commodities that, that year. And everyone was asking us, is this a return of the 1980s farm crisis? And we get asked that question a lot uh, as economists. And so we teamed up with a journalist to put together an eight-episode podcast series called Escaping 1980. You can go to our website, AEI.ag, to find that. But if you Google search uh, Escaping 1980 or AEI.ag Presents, you can find that podcast season uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts.
1: Thank you for doing that. And I remember the conversation that we had on the Farm for Profit podcast about how the government stepped in during that time period to try and fix things, to try and either set aside acres or provide monetary policies to put things in place. And now we see uh, more, I'm going to say it, government interaction now, as our Fed took a record jump in raising rates last week. Do you see this, uh, first of all, what do you see as potentially for the rest of the hikes for the year? And what do you think that means for that rate of inflation?
0: Well, I'm going to kick this off uh, with the Ronald Reagan quote. Of course, Ronald Reagan came in, uh, assumed the presidency in the, in the 1980s, that decade. Uh, and he had a quote that was pretty reflective of the period. And it was, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And I think that, <laughs> um, what we see right now is a lot of lever pulling, um, from the Fed, from Congress and the USDA, but we're really trying to, to navigate what is essentially a series of supply shocks that have really caused trouble in the, in the global economy. That is a parallel to the 1970s. There were a series of, of supply shocks that were rippling through the global economy in the 1970s as well. So let's just step back and think about where we are, where we have been. We've had a trade war and we were trying to uh, use tariffs in that, but we we're also trying to offset those that the tariffs were hurt by. We had the pandemic, uh, both the slowdown and then the acceleration out of that pandemic. We had the supply chain issues. And so all of these things have been uh, creating shocks, supply shocks. Uh, and this was long before the Russia-Ukraine situation. That was another supply shock in a lot of ways, uh, to our global supply chains. And so the Fed initially in the pandemic was trying to, um, stimulate the economy. Congress was stimulating the economy. And now we see, uh, this backpedaling. We're saying, okay, the economy is Recovering, It's doing okay. Now we need to pull some of the stimulus out. Let's avoid an overheating situation. And one of the variables we use for overheating, or one of the warning lights is inflation. And we've seen uh, inflation throughout the economy uh, sustained for, you know, i said the last 12 months or so. And so we're starting to see the Fed now take actions through raising rates. Um, to ultimately uh, try to slow down that inflation and slow down the economy uh, to avoid that overheating situation, so what do you think that means for the next twelve months? I want to be clear here that the fed raising interest rates so it is a it is a painful process. it will create pain, and what it 's going to do is it 's going to discourage um, the investments in, you know, projects is going to decur- uh, d- discourage people from buying new homes or it's trying to slow down the economy. We're going to try to reduce the amount of activity that's going on in the economy and that creates pain. And that's why everyone's, uh, fearful or watching, you know, is there going to be a recession that comes out of this? Uh, if we think back to the 1970s and 1980s, you know, throughout that decade, we saw the Federal Reserve and Congress trying to um, deal with uh, combating both the economy that's too hot. We've raised interest rates. Now it's cooling off too much. Let's, let's, let's pull it back a little bit. Let's get the economy to grow a little bit. So uh, we sometimes liken this to, we wrote an article for our readers talking about like landing an airplane. And we have this scenario where the fed's trying to get this airplane landing. They're even using the terminology of soft landing and, as they're coming around to make this soft landing, um, the winds are coming. There's a storm coming in, and things are going, you know, all over the place. And so the question is, um, can we get the plane soft landed, or do we risk a recession? And does the Fed need to stimulate the economy, do a go around, and try to land the airplane again? So this is the dangerous part. Is to tame inflation, we got to slow the economy, but we don't want to put the economy into, a, you know, a tailspin, stall out and have a crash.
2: And I think that segues nicely into my next question, which is just what factors should we be watching to indicate that we are in a recession? Because I've listened to a lot of different analysts and podcasts on this lately, and they all have different indicators, you know, inflation, the consumer price index, uh, GDP. What are what are your triggers that show us? Yes, we're most likely heading into a recession.
0: I think the Fed is not going to use the traditional metric of a recession to to be what tells them to you know take the pressure off. I think they're going to be watching for are we slowing down too much? Um, you know, the the recession is is kind of a uh, traditionally defined as two quarters of negative economic growth. And so if we had a recession that technically started January 1st, 2022, it might not be into the fall. Think late August, early September of 2022, before we can actually see that measurement. And so the Fed is going to be using other rules of thumb. I think uh, that's a really great question that you're asking Delaney. And so one of the things that I've been watching is gasoline usage. Uh, that was a helpful indicator during the pandemic. You know, it's been off. We see, Users, uh, consumers using less gasoline here. And so that's telling us there's a little bit of adjustments going on. They're going to be watching home constructions. They're going to be watching, um, activities around summer, you know, going out to eat, how much, um, how, what's happening around durable good purchases. Are we still buying wash machines and cars and those types of activities? Um, the other thing that uh, I've been watching really carefully are long-term interest rates. We sometimes get micro-focused or hyper-focused on the Fed's next change of those short-term Fed funds rates. But I think it's also important to step back and say most of us aren't actually in the market at those Fed fund rates. Most of us are in the market something closer to a 10-year treasury. And what's been going on in those 10-year treasuries has uh, been a little bit scary over the last six to eight months. You know, 10-year treasuries had about a 50 basis point movement, you know, just in the first half of June. So we've got to keep an eye on, you know, interest rates that are more applicable to us ourselves personally or to our operations uh, and, and what's going on there.
2: I think I have a quick follow up on this and it's maybe a theoretical question, like a chicken and the egg scenario. But if we're hearing warning bells as a consumer that we are potentially heading into a recession, you know, a lot of people are thinking, okay, I need to save. I need to cut access spending. Does that also help, I guess, push us further into a recession if people are thinking in that mindset? (laughs)
0: <laughs> that, that's very astute. Uh And it's the same problem with inflation. When it, there is a little bit of a mystery around inflation and what causes it. There's a, a famous economist, um Keynes, who says, you know, inflation always has been and always will be a monetary uh situation. And that really hasn't bore out to be true. He made that statement, you know, a long time ago, but it really hasn't bore out to be true because, um, the last decade outside of the last year. So from twenty uh, 2012 to 2020, the Fed was having a hard time getting inflation to meet its 2% annual targets. We were running below uh, expectations for inflation. And now we have an above expectation. So there's a psychology to it. There's a psychology about inflation and recessions in and of themselves. And so when people think prices are going to be higher, they want to sell their house right away. They want to buy a new car before it gets more expensive. They want to buy that farm ground before it gets even more expensive. And then, to your point, Delaney, when we think that a recession's coming, we we stop purchasing or we start saving. And that in and of itself starts to contribute to the problems as well. And so there is a very uh, big uh, mindset issue going on with this. And one of the things that I've been listening to the Fed very carefully, um, they've been talking about our expectations of inflation anchored, and so when we see expectations about inflation become unanchored, that means consumers are starting to think that inflation will be around for many, many years to come. And so, um, yes, our uh, the economy is made up of our activities, but also our collective expectations of what the future will have in store, and that that's the tricky part.
1: Yeah, I was uh, listening to a couple of economists in the banking industry this last week during some some training sessions and it was quite comical when they described how we identify a recession and usually it's after it's already happened and we kind of went through it, thought it was a little bit painful, but ultimately for a majority, most people are unimpacted or at least not severely impacted. They just look back and go, oh. Yeah, there, that was a recession. It was three quarters or, or two quarters or, or two years, whatever it ended up looking like, uh, because of the lag in the economic information for us to base that on. But before we wrap up here, I wanted to just ask you if you felt like there was any final comments that you wanted to share with the listeners, uh, about what we have presented to us or what we could be doing to protect ourselves going forward.
0: Yeah, I think one thing that I will like to add to this conversation that's oftentimes overlooked is what makes inflation so painful is there's two elements here that often aren't talked about. One of them is relative prices. So if inflation in the U.S. economy is up 6%, that's on average across all goods and services. Um, but we know that some things go up more than 6%, a lot more, and some things go uh, don't change in price very much at all. And so maybe our cell phones haven't changed much in price. Uh, maybe they actually got to be a better phone, but they're the same price. But on the other hand, gasoline or meat or the food that we're buying at the grocery store. Maybe that's gone up 10 plus percent. So we have to think about these changes in relative prices and how that impacts um, the types of things we might be buying, whether we're a business and maybe we're saying, oh my gosh, labor is going up much more faster than capital. So maybe I need to buy bigger equipment and hire less employees, or maybe it's the other way around. The second piece of this is elasticities that's an economic word. But what I want you to think about here is there are some changes in costs that we can uh, get away from a little bit. And there are s- some changes in costs that we can't get away from. So if you're a corn producer, uh, we really can't do much to get away from changes in nitrogen prices. Uh, we could maybe defer some of our phosphorus and potassium fertilizer applications. Um, but we have to recognize that there are some things that are harder for us to to manage through. And so for producers uh, step back and think about what's the, cost changes that are going on in my operation? What are some ways that I can make some adjustments? And you're going to start to find there are some categories that have been really painful that we don't have a lot of management tools around. And that might be the ones that we want to lock our prices in on, that we want to really get aggressive about trying to put a risk management plan around. On the other hand, there are some categories that we have more flexibility around. We have more management tools around. And start thinking about ways to deploy those tools headed through 2022 and into 2023.
2: I feel like we could probably go on for hours having a great discussion about this with you, David, but unfortunately we're out of time for today. We'll definitely have you back on again, I think, as things are continuing to shift and develop, but we've been teasing it, but let's summarize one more time for our listeners. I think Tanner and I both get it, but you have a weekly, I guess I'll call it a newsletter of sorts where you're putting out fresh content. How can folks subscribe to that and find your website?
0: Yes feel free to check us out at AEI.ag. Like you said, there's a weekly newsletter and an article, but then there's a whole lot of other work that we're putting together like the podcast series and our AEI premium content and tools that we have available as well.
2: Fantastic. Well, David, thanks again for joining us today. Certainly appreciate it.
0: Happy to join.
1: There you go, Delaney. One of my I, I don't want to call him friends because uh, we've never met, but certainly David is a person that I enjoy following along with his content. We've had him as a guest on the Farm for Profit podcast, but always seems to be very insightful.
2: Absolutely. Love following his stuff. Folks, do subscribe. I would encourage you to subscribe to his uh weekly articles. I read those very frequently. They're just a good, usually economic spin on some current events that are going on.
1: Absolutely. But for today, That should be enough. What do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go?
2: Let's let them go.